Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. So I'm glad about uh, being here with you um, tonight to, to, to be involved in this conversation we're having with God about the victory that's been won for us. I bring you greetings from the beautiful city of St. Petersburg. Amen. It's not, it's not too far away from y'all, you know, y'all Hillsboro people. If you haven't been over, I, you know, just let us know you're coming and uh, you'll enjoy it. Um, tonight's title, the message title is Walk It, Talk It. Walk It, Talk It. I got to give half the credit to uh, Migos for that one, the inspiration. Um, the purpose of this message, you know, um, Mackenzie helped me get dressed today. How'd she do? She did good. Okay. She told me afterwards that uh, the pants didn't match my shirt, though. And I almost titled this message, Are You Matching? But I was relating, you know, the question that, that we'll be able to answer by the end of this message is, is the life that you're living matching the victory that he won? Is the life you're living matching the victory that he won? We're going to start with James chapter 2. Let's go ahead and get in it. Praise God for Pastor Brian. Hallelujah. Pastor Rashida, Pastor Deborah, the Poe family. I was just telling somebody, may, may have been today, may have been yesterday. I say it as many times as I can, how grateful I am. It was last night, how grateful I am to be connected to this family of believers, in this fellowship, and this community. Um, I don't take it for granted, and you shouldn't either. I don't know what your, your church experience has been like, but I've seen enough to know that this isn't available everywhere. Mm -mm. It's not every place you can go where people have one desire, and it's just to do what God called them to do. And uh, we, are, we are tremendously blessed. Amen. So, you know, I publicly express my gratitude and appreciation for being here, being a part of this community. Amen? Amen. James chapter 2, starting at verse 12, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. This is the words of James, the brother of Jesus. We'll talk more about him later, but this is what he says. Walk it, talk it. This is what he says. He says, so speak and so act as people should who are to be judged under the perfect law of liberty. The moral instruction given by Christ, especially about love, the perfect law of liberty is the law of love. You know, Jesus on his transition now left us with two commands, right? Love God and love your neighbor. So what James is saying, he says, so speak and act like people who will be judged by the perfect law of liberty. Basically what he's saying, he's saying speak and act like Christians. That's what he's saying. Speak and act like Christians. The Passion Translation of this same verse says it like this. So we must both speak and act in every respect like those who are destined to be tried by the perfect law of liberty. And that last part, all that means is Christians, because Christians are those who have submitted themselves to the perfect law of liberty or the law of Jesus or the law of love. Amen. Now, let me give you some background on James. James is the brother of Jesus. James is the brother of Jesus. Yep. Jesus was the first one, right? But after Jesus came more, 
James was one of the brothers of Jesus, okay? Now, this is the interesting, interesting thing about James. James lived with Jesus 30 years. James saw Jesus turn the water into wine. James witnessed Jesus multiply the two fish and the five loaves. James heard all the messages. And, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says that there are more things that Jesus did, but they can't even be contained in, in, in books, right? So there are things that James saw that we don't, even, we don't even know about. He was his brother. He was there firsthand, right? James saw Jesus walk on water. James heard the teachings. He was first eyewitness. And for 30 years, as a result of seeing it and hearing it, guess what? James was an unbeliever. James did not believe that his brother was the Messiah. As a matter of fact, you can read in, in, in um, is it John 5? John chapter 7. John chapter 7, around verse 5. Verse 4, verse 5. Read the whole chapter. It's good. But there are those first few verses. It talks about Jesus, Jesus doing ministry. The first verse mentions Jesus going through Galilee. And then it says that he didn't go to Judea, even though there was a feast and festival happening in Judea. He didn't go to Judea because the Jews were intending to kill him. Then we get down to Jesus having a conversation with his brothers, which James was one of. And his brothers, which James is one of, says to Jesus, why don't you go to Judea? Right there where them people want to kill you. Read it for yourself, isn't it? He says, they say, they say to Jesus, they say, you doing all this stuff because you want some attention, you want to attract big crowds, go to Judea. All your disciples are there. Nobody who wants attention will do the stuff that you do in secret. So go ahead and go to Judea. And then in verse 5, it tells us they said these things because they didn't believe themselves. They were unbelievers. Ain't that something? You're living with Jesus. Oh, my goodness. You see all of these things happening. You see all the things that he things that he does, and they were still unbelievers. But James writes this letter, this same James, the same James that, that saw the miracles and still didn't believe, that James became a believer. James became a believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as Paul is listing, he's given his, his, his testimony, and he's, and he's listing the people who saw the resurrected Christ. One of the names mentioned is James. James becomes a believer. He didn't believe the miracles. He didn't believe the signs and wonders. He didn't believe after seeing the man walk on the water, he didn't believe. After seeing him multiply two fish, five loaves, he didn't believe. But when he heard him say, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to be resurrected, and then he saw him, after the resurrection, James became a believer. James became a believer. Not only did James become a believer, but he became a leader in the church. If you read Acts, I think it's Acts 14, uh, Acts 4, James was one of the, or after Acts 4, somewhere in there, in Acts, James was one of the leaders along with Paul that sent, along with Peter that sent Paul and Barnabas to preach to the Gentiles. James was probably, probably the leader of the Christian church. They were forming, you know, think how things, you know, when you're just getting started, you start to organize yourself a little bit. So the Christians, they just getting started. They started to organize themselves. They had a council set up. And we believe that James was the leader of the council. That same James that didn't believe. But after witnessing what he did, he had so much conviction that he becomes leader, the leader of the Christian church. As a matter of fact, he becomes the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. I mean, that's the hotbed. 
That's the hot seat. He becomes the pastor of that church, right? And history says that around, you know, 62 A.D. or so, that's about uh, 30 years after the resurrection, James was murdered. He's a martyr. He was killed for what he believed, right? It takes conviction. It takes a real experience. It takes a real experience to go from not just was he an unbeliever, but he was cynical with it. I mean, he was like, man, you're just trying to get some attention. Go ahead and get all the attention that you want to, right? To go from that place to being a leader in the church took conviction. And, you know, so I'm, I'm studying James and doing some teachings from his book, and I'm getting to know James a little bit. And, um, and I like James. I like James. You know what I found out? You know, people, people usually like people who, who just say it. You know them type of people who you ain't, have to, you ain't got to worry, wonder about what they're thinking because they're going to tell you you know exactly where they stand? We normally like people like that because it, it relieves us some of the anxiety of trying to figure out what you think about me. They're just going to tell you, right? And that's what James was like. James, James just said it. James just said it. James, if James were, were around today, he'd probably like sayings like, um, um, uh, proof is in the pudding. That'd probably be one of his favorite sayings. James would like stuff like that because that's what he believed. He believed that if you believe something, if you say that you are something, then, then you should have some actions that follow what you say that you believe. James, James would probably like the, the, that saying that we got, if it walked like a duck. Talk, what? Quack like a duck. It must be a duck. James, 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 but James probably wasn't given to, to jokes. He was probably a little more serious, so he wouldn't care for the duck part. But he would probably say if it, if it, if it walked like a sinner, talked like a sinner, it must be a sinner. Right? That's James. James says that your actions should follow what you say that you believe. We read his book, and it's all throughout it. Right? James was, James James, for many people, James was extreme. But for James, it was normal. What other people would consider extreme, James considered normal. What other people thought would be, that's just, come on now, tone it down a little bit. James was like, no, this is, this is, this is the level that all, everybody should be at. This is, this is, and I like this word, this is our reasonable service. And if you think about what James experienced, you understand why. I mean, this man, this is the man who found out that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, Jesus, he, he handled him. He handled him. He lived with him. He witnessed him. Walked with him. Right? And he finds out that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, and not only that, not only that, but, you know, his letter starts out. He says, um, he sends this letter, he introduces himself, I'm James, a servant of God and of Jesus, my Lord, to the churches who've been, or to the, to the church, the people who've been scattered abroad, right? And then in some translations, the next word is greetings, but the actual word James used was rejoice. And see, this is a type of person James is, and if you understand where he's coming from, you, 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 you know, you can, you can roll with James. You can understand. You, and I pray that y'all one day understand where James is coming from. James says, understand this, James is writing a letter to people who he knows, he understands that these people, the, the way that he writes it is, you've been scattered abroad. But understand that they weren't scattered abroad by choice. They were scattered abroad by force. They were scattered abroad, forced out of their home, forced out of their homeland, forced away from their countrymen into other places because of persecution. And James says to those people, rejoice. And then you read, the, I mean, it, that's just the beginning of it. It gets worse from there. James tells these people to, you know, to, to, to have joy in all types of sufferings, even when you're surrounded and encompassed and enveloped. I mean, you got all types of situations that aren't good all around you still rejoice. That's what James says. And, you know, I'm going to be real. I'm like, James, I ain't, I ain't at your level, man. I don't, 
I don't understand how you can say the things that you're saying. But then when I began to get to know James, and I understand that he is writing, he's living along with other men and women who witnessed Jesus firsthand, I understand where James is coming from. See, when James says, in spite of your present circumstance and situation, no matter how bad it gets, rejoice. James, who's been converted, James who once upon a time, James wasn't thinking like this, but James had an experience that's brought him to this place where he sees that it doesn't matter what situation you're in, you can rejoice. Why? Because James is looking through the lens of grace. James, his whole perspective has changed. His outlook on life is from the perspective of Jesus living, dying, and being resurrected. And he says that no matter what your suffering is, you can rejoice because he's looking at Jesus. And he remembers what Jesus suffered. And he remembers his suffering. He remembers the beating. He remembers the scourging. He remembers the trial. He remembers seeing his brother up there on that cross. He remembers him dying. He remembers Nicodemus and, uh, and, and I think it was Joseph going and pulling his limp dead body from the cross. He remembers the body being put in a tomb. And at that point, it was all over. It's over. At that point, James is probably looking at the other disciples, which he was not a part of, saying, man, I tried to tell y'all. No, but he's not laughing about it because this is his brother. But he's like, man, y'all put your hopes in, in him being something that he wasn't. I tried to tell you. And in that moment, all of James, for him, it wasn't doubt. For him, it wasn't doubt. It was just, I ain't believing that he's the Christ. I'm not believing that he's Messiah. And in that moment, when Jesus was put in the tomb, when Jesus died, all of his, his beliefs in that moment were confirmed. In the moment that Jesus was hung on that cross and he died and they saw his body being put in the tomb, all of James' beliefs in that moment were confirmed. He is not the Messiah. So at that point, James is ready to go ahead and do the eulogy. Let's have a funeral. Let's move on with our lives. Three days later. Three days later. Now, I'm not talking about, see, James wasn't like Peter or Mary or the other disciples who always live with the hope. Mm -mm. James did not believe. James had to do a straight-up 180. And he became a believer at the resurrection of his Lord, Jesus. You know, um, I don't know if it happens much now, but once upon a time, and maybe some people still do it, but once upon a time, there was a big debate on whether or not what James taught conflicted with what Paul taught. Yeah, this is the scripture. Look at, um, let's look at, we'll stick with James. Let's look at James first. James chapter 2, verse 24. So James, is, 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 James has strong conviction. Strong conviction, what I mean by conviction, strong belief. Strong belief, man. After, after seeing Jesus resurrected, I mean, he's, I mean, he's for real, man. He has strong, strong belief. Strong belief. I mean, he's, if, you know, I think when I look at the, um, the early 
what we call the early church fathers, you know, those Peter, Paul, James, John, the ones that wrote the books that we read in the New Testament. You know, if, if I don't know, what would you think if Paul, if Paul were to come around today and observe Christians today, what, what, would you, what do you think he would say? Okay, well, you, you, I think the same thing. I think he'd be like, man, what? I mean, some people, I know some of y'all good. You good, you good, you good. But there's some folk who Paul and, and James and John would be checking out, and he'd be like, what? What'd you say? Foolish Gal- Galatians. You're like, this is... Because these men, you have to understand how strong their conviction was. Understand this. And, and I know it's hard for us to relate, but I'm asking you tonight to take your mind there. Understand this. These men, if we just talk about James, James probably, as an unbeliever, James probably just would have went on and lived, lived his life. Lived his life. He would have been a Jew, went on, just lived his life. As a believer, James puts himself in harm's way. You know, it's, it's not like today, not like, you know, we, we can easily, I mean, you can make the decision to be a believer, not be a believer, go to church, not go to church. And, and today, probably nobody, not too many people would care. But in this particular day, no, you're putting your, you're, you like, remember back in the day when that person challenged you to fight and they like, you cross that line. You know, it's on when you cross, cross that line. So James, on his own, I mean, the, the, the established Jewish religion, the Roman government drew the line. And like, if you say that you're a Christian and you go preaching that, that Jesus stuff, you cross the line. And James just made a decision. What else can I do? James, is, his testimony is the same as, as Peter's. Remember, Peter was questioned. They questioned Peter, Peter and John, they questioned him. And it was like, man, you healed this, you know, you healed this man and we don't want you to preach no more in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John's response was, I can't do nothing but tell what I've experienced. I can't do nothing but tell you what I've experienced. What, would, would you rather me obey you or obey God? Well, that's where James was. James was like, after experiencing what I've experienced, this is it. I can't do anything else. There is no, no cold. There is no lukewarm. There is no gray. After seeing a man that I've handled, he said he was going to be resurrected, and then he was resurrected. How can I be in the middle? Fence? What fence? How can I sit on a fence? When I've witnessed this man say he was going to be resurrected and it actually happened. The only thing I can do right now is be all the way in. That's it. That's the only option, to be all the way in. (laughs) That that was James for you, right? James 2, 24. James makes this statement, and it kind of catches people off guard. It says, you see that a man is justified, pronounced righteous before God. We know justified. Some people justified just as if I had not sinned, right standing with God, righteousness and right relationship with God. Um, Justified, being brought back to your original place. That's what it means to be justified. So James says, you see that a man is justified, pronounced righteous before God through what he does. Y'all got that? Through what he does, and not alone through faith, through works of obedience as well as by what he believes. And people take that scripture and then they look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. And many other places, Paul's made this statement. Everybody good? I'm just talking with you tonight. Y'all all right? Okay. Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says this. He says, for we hold, this is what Paul says. We read what James says. James says that for we see that a man is justified by what he does. 
right? Not faith alone. That's what James says. And we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, Paul says, For we hold that a man is justified and made upright, that same word, justified, made upright by what? Faith. Independent of and distinctly apart from good deeds. Works of the law, the Amplified says, the observance of the law has nothing to do with justification. So people read this and say, man, James and Paul conflicting. James is saying something different. James says that a man is justified through works. Paul clearly says in several places that a man is justified by faith, separated from works. On Saturdays, um, during the SOS classes, Summer of Stability. Anybody have been attending that? Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. On Saturdays, it's a study with me. And um, I was here last Saturday with Pastor Brian, and wow, he did a phenomenal job, phenomenal teaching. And um, part of it, he, he talked about rightly dividing the word of truth, right? And he talked about not taking one scripture and making a whole doctrine out of it, right? You know, so maybe you could take this one scripture, James chapter 2, verse 24, and say that James seems to be conflicting with, with Paul. But if you read James in its entirety, you see that James is complimenting Paul. James is taking what Paul is saying, and he's just being James with it, being a little more direct, a little more straightforward, right? It's not a conflict at all. The two actually agree. James is just taking it a step further. James is saying that, yeah, you should, have, you should have faith, but there should be some works that support your faith. If you say that you believe, then, then there should be some actions that look like you believe. You're going to talk it, walk it. That's what James is saying. Glory to God. Here's a point for you. Is my life work a reflection of his finished work? Is my life work a reflection of his finished work? Is my life work, my actions, my habits, my attitude, my behavior, my lifestyle, is my life's work a reflection of his finished work? James would say, James says, faith that doesn't have works to back it up is dead. Faith that doesn't have works to back it up is dead. And, and, you know, not for everybody, but, you know, and many times even while he was living, James observed Christian people, church folk, just like Paul did, just like Peter, just like John. And there are several times throughout the scriptures where they wondered if the people they were talking to really had an experience. When Paul writes his letter to the Galatians, that's what he's doing. He's like, how can, did you, you sure you, when he writes his letter to the Corinthians, Paul, we know Paul, Paul who was Saul, and I want to, and I, and I want to just, you know, put this in here. These men lived during the same time, right? They lived during the same era. They were doing their work at the same time. Paul is writing his letters and doing his work. James is writing his and doing his work as well. They're contemporaries. They're partners together. When they got revelation, they shared the revelation. They, 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 you know, iron sharpens iron. That's, imagine that, I mean, teaching team. You got James and Paul sharpening each other. That's what it was like, right? These aren't, they aren't, these aren't separate cases far away and separated by a bunch of time. No, this is, they're doing this at the same time. James, they say that James, this letter from James was written maybe around 20 years after Jesus' resurrection. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was written about the same time. James was killed about 62 AD, 30 or so years after Jesus' resurrection. Paul was killed about the same time. They're doing this together. They're talking together. You understand what I'm saying? They're sharing their revelation together. They're, they're, I mean, if you look at what James is saying, it reminds me a lot of what Paul said in Corinthians. 
Paul writes letters to the Corinthians, and yes, Paul starts off, Paul, if, and we all believe that, you know, you're not justified by working the law. You're justified by faith. Here's the way that I like to distinguish it. A person who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't have a relationship, their works, working the law, comes before reconciliation. A person who is working to be reconciled, their works come before reconciliation. But a person who by faith has been reconciled, A person who by faith or has received the grace that's been made available, that person's works come after grace because grace gives birth to works. Do you understand what I'm saying? Person who's trying to work themselves into God's good grace, they put their works up before reconciliation. But the person has been reconciled, a person who's been, who's by faith received their, or I've accepted the invitation to be in fellowship with God. And now because of this great gracious invitation, my life is going to live like I'm appreciative. My works aren't to get the invitation, but my works, my actions follow the invitation. Because I've been invited, I'm going to live a certain way. Because I've received grace, I'm going to live a certain way, right? I mean, if somebody do something good for you, what you going to do? Depending upon the level of good they give you, your, your reaction should correspond. Right? If somebody opened the door for you, you're walking through the grocery store, person's in front of you, they hold the door until you get there, you turn around and what do you do? To show your appreciation, you say, and at most, if there's another door, you get that door and hold it open for, for them. Your actions corresponded to their grace. Right? But then if a person die for you, give their life for you, whoo, open the doors of eternity for you, invite you in, give you a seat at the table, set you up for eternity, got everything covered, give you the Holy Ghost, all power and ability, all favor, grace after grace, healing and wholeness and peace and freedom from agitations and a relationship that can't be severed, and I can go on and on and on and on, and we can be here for a while talking about all the things that Jesus did for us. Now, now, so Paul says then, in response to that, what is your reasonable service? Reasonable. Look, he said reasonable. Reasonable. It's reasonable if somebody holds the door for you, you say thank you. That's reasonable. If somebody holds the door for you and you say, ooh, thank you, tomorrow can I wash your car? That's weird. (laughs) You don't took a little too far. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if I, I'm, I'll take it like this, if, if, if your wife folded up your socks and in, <laughs> I got a hallelujah on that one, <laughs> and in response, and in response, the husband says, baby, I appreciate you so much. Now, a reasonable response to that could be a thank you or I got you next time, something like that, right? You did my socks, I'm going to do your socks. That's, that's reasonable. But if the husband said, you know, I wanna, I'm gonna, let's have dinner Friday night. Dinner on me, I got you. I'm cooked. Now, that's a little above reasonable. It's good. It's a little above reasonable, right? It's a little above reasonable, right? Paul says, 
in light of what Jesus did, he ain't talking about above reason. He says, your reasonable service is to give your life a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable service. You read throughout uh, the letters of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you see Paul saying the same thing that James said. Yeah, Paul says that you're justified by faith separate from works. But then Paul also says, Paul says, listen now, if you have received this grace, if you have been justified, then some of the things I'm hearing about you doing, you ought not be doing. That's not the reasonable, say reasonable, reasonable. response to what Jesus did. There was all kind of stuff them folks were doing. Paul's right, he writes it out. So then Paul is saying the same thing as James. Paul is saying that if you have this faith, if you've received this grace, if you've received the good that Jesus has done, then you should have actions that show it. Does your life work? Does your lifestyle reflect his grace? In many cases, you look at the responses of James and you look at the responses of, of, of Paul and it was like they were surprised at some of the behaviors of church folk. When he writes that letter to the Galatians, you, what, 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 what? Are you serious? Who has bewitched you? That's what he says. He like was shocked, right? There was one letter in one of the letters to the Corinthians. He says, um, he says, I hear that there's divisions among you. Hey, that y'all divided and you got factions and everything like that. This ought not be. That's what he says. And you have to understand where they were coming from. Understand that these were men who saw Jesus resurrected. You got to understand the conviction, the place of belief they were coming from. These are men whose lives were turned 180. These are men who had an experience. These are men who received grace. Paul says, I'm the least of the disciples. I'm the least of an apostle. Don't you understand that I used to, before meeting Jesus, I was on my way to persecute some Christians? The fact that he would choose me? So Paul is responding from that place. James is responding from that place. John is responding from that place. And here we are, we know we're 2,000 years or so later, and we, most of us, haven't had the opportunity to handle Jesus, and we didn't see him face to face. But because he's alive, our experience was just as real. Mm. I don't know, somebody missed the opportunity to shout on that one. Because he's alive, our experience is just as real. <laughs> Glory to God. My goodness, that was good right there. Mm. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. So what happened when the disciples, I talked about this, but I want to bring this in and make this point. Understand that when the disciples witnessed Jesus, I think it's in, um, the account is in Luke 22. If you look at Luke 22 on your own, there Jesus is. He's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's in the garden with his disciples, and he gets arrested. He's in the garden. He gets arrested. And it looks like, you know, this is, it's, this is defeat. In the minds of the disciples, it's like, this is not how it's supposed to happen. But there's something that Jesus says. Oh, my goodness. There's something that Jesus says that is so powerful in that moment. I think it's about verse 17. Jesus says, this has to happen because the scriptures have said so. This is how it's had to, this, this, this right here, what we're experiencing, what we're about to experience, has, it has to happen because the scriptures say so. 
Jesus gets arrested, and it looks like defeat. Jesus gets arrested. The disciples scatter. um, Peter and John follow along from a distance. Peter denies him three times, and it looks like defeat. It's over. Peter goes in a corner, and he's crying. He failed. He failed to support his Lord. He failed to support and protect his Lord. It's over. Jesus goes through the trial, and it's it's good as done. The disciples are hiding. It's over. That's what they are. This is defeat. This is defeat. This is the worst thing that could have happened. All of our hopes is gone. All that we thought he was, it, it doesn't exist. It's not real. That's where they were. He goes through the trials. They get to that Friday. Jesus is put up on that cross. It's done. He dies. They know he's dead. They know he's dead. Remember the, the Roman standing there? Made sure he was dead. He took the sword and stuck it right in the side. He's good as dead. It is over. From a distance, they watch, they watch his body come off that cross. His limp, no life body is taken from the cross. This is defeat. He's put in a tomb. He's put in the tomb. Big boulder covering the door. It's over. Peter says, it's so over, I'm going back fishing. Because this is done. It's over. It's defeat. Tonight, I believe that all of us in here we're going to have an opportunity to rewrite our history. He died. He was put in that tomb. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about verse 54. Paul says, where, O death, is your victory. Where is your victory? That's a question that was asked. That was a question that was asked of death. Where, O death, is your victory? Why was that question posed? And you know, that question was actually written by Isaiah centuries before Christ even got on the cross. O death, where is your victory? It was repeated by Paul. O death, where is your victory? But tonight I ask that of you. Where is your victory? Where's your victory? Tonight, we got the opportunity to rewrite our history. Oh, goodness. Because I'm telling every believer, every person that names the name of Jesus, every person that is in Christ, what I'm telling you, tonight you have the opportunity to rewrite your history. Every Look back over your life. Every place, every situation, every circumstance and scenario that looked like defeat. Relabel it. Relabel it. Relabel it. Some of you stuck today from from a place you thought you lost. You thought you took an L. 20 years done passed since that time. You thought it was an L. Your whole life from that point forward was based on you thought you lost. But I'm telling you tonight that if you're in Christ, go back and rewrite your history. 
Glory to God. Where's your victory? Where's your victory? All the losses, I'm telling you, setback was just a set up. <laughs> Jesus is getting arrested. And he says, it's okay. This has got to happen because it was written. First Corinthians chapter 15. Starting at verse number three, it says this. This is Paul writing. He says, I gave you the message that I received. I told you the most important truths that Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures say, that he was buried and was raised to life on the third day, as the scriptures say. Notice the scripture said both. The scripture said he would be arrested, which looked like defeat. The scripture said he would die, which looked like defeat. It looked like defeat. It looked like they lost. I mean, when Jesus was up there dead on that cross, I mean, the Jews were celebrating. The enemy was rejoicing. They thought it was done deal. It's over. We won. What they going to do now? And I'm saying the same thing to you. If you be in Christ, the same thing for you. There wasn't no loss. No, no, no. I'm looking back over my whole life. It's not an L. It's a W. We rewriting our histories. James says to us, when you're surrounded by trial, when you're surrounded by all manners and diverse temptations, when you're encompassed, when you're enveloped by it, rejoice. How could he say it? Because the man is looking backwards through the lens of grace. And he's saying that if Jesus could suffer and gain glory, everybody connected to him has the same story. Any suffering that I endure is not for my defeat, but it's for my victory. That's all there is, is victory. That's all there is, is victory. That's all there is, is victory. I don't care what your situation looks like right now. All there is for you is victory. All it is, is victory. All it is, is victory. Might not look like victory, but that's what makes the victory better. Glory to God. This is, what, this is what James says. James says the testing <laughs> and the trying of your faith brings out endurance. See, most of the time, if you test me and you try me, at the end of it, I want a prize. But James says it brings out endurance. Endurance. I imagine endurance to be like a leash. It could be a long leash, short leash, I don't know. But endurance is like a leash. Boy, if the enemy knew what was at the end of that leash, he stopped pulling your chain. I'm telling you, you got to tell the enemy, hey, you keep pulling my leash if you want to. You don't know what's at the end of this leash. It don't matter if it's a long leash or if it's a short leash. 
The same thing is at the end of the leash. If endurance is a leash, at the end of it is a dog named Victory. Keep pulling my chain if you want to. <laughs> I got a dog named Victory at the end of this chain. It don't matter how long the chain is. The same dog is at the end of it. Glory to God. My goodness. I'm just running the victory lap. Victory is a done deal. I'm just running the victory lap. That's all there's left to do. We just running the victory lap. Trial comes, it brings about endurance. At the end of endurance, there's victory. Glory to God. James says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Amen. Glory to God. Stand on your feet. What's left to do now? Walk in victory. <laughs> That's all. Walk in victory. Walk in victory. Just walk in victory. Worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father. Bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace. Thank you for victory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Give God some praise for Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.